Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, just had an amazing and an extremely dense conversation with Dare Gigi, uh, the legendary Bitcoiner and uh, fantastic content creator. Uh, David, what do you think of this conversation? Yeah, I loved this conversation. Yeah, it's pretty clear to me that that Gigi and I think very similarly about these things. I think the way that our thinking manifests manifests very differently because he's like a, a Bitcoin maxi and oh, people would call me an Ethereum maxi. And so that's kind of interesting that, that we have the same thoughts, but they diverge in that way. But we didn't really talk about the divergence. We kind of more talked about the way that they're the same in this episode. So this is very much a conversation talking about like, the metaphysical realities of, of Bitcoin, right? Like how, what Bitcoin is, the plane of existence that it lives in, how it's different, how it is, it resembles life. Uh, really a fantastic conversation, really dense, really dense. Really enjoyed this one from, from Gigi. Uh, Gigi, this is his second time on the podcast. He came on the podcast 14 months ago and it was the complete opposite. It was just a, just a debate, like a Bitcoin versus Ethereum debate. Uh, and Good this listen. Was, this, also a good listen. Also a good listen. But this one, this one was a, a little bit more peaceful. Yeah, no, I I love this conversation as well. Gigi really brought it, and uh, you know, started off like kind of vaguely trying to express his ideas around the circular nature of these things, uh, but really got into the groove and uh, you know, really profound thoughts about the interlocking nature of of these organisms, uh, Bitcoin in particular. And I mean, I think that this interview is valuable for everyone to kind of better understand Bitcoin, but also better understand, you know, how networked organisms, networked things emerge. You know, we talk about nation states, we talk about religion a lot. Um, You know, this idea of like, how do we network people and components and things together to get them to work in cohesiveness? That's what um, ultimately this game is about. And ultimately what, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uh, pose as a shift in how that is done in the technology that enables that. All right, so let's go ahead and get right into the interview with Dare Gigi of Swan Bitcoin and 21 Lessons. Boom. Gigi, Welcome back to POV Crypto, man. Honored to have you back on for the second time. And just to catch up, it's been way too long. Yeah. Hey, Christian, David, thanks for having me. It's, it's been way too long indeed, like over so, a year. I want to talk about what's new with you. Like um, a lot has changed. I know uh, you have just joined one of the hottest Bitcoin companies out there uh, and you've just been pumping out content nonstop. Uh, what is what has happened with Gigi since uh, June 2019? Oh man, you know it, it's it's been like a little bit over a year in in meat space time, but in Bitcoin time, that's like 10 years at least. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know a lot. Of, really, a lot has changed. Um, I'm not sure if my views on Bitcoin have changed that much, and I'm also not sure if um, yeah. I don't know how to put it. Um, like, you know, in cyberspace and the way I view Bitcoin, it's just marching along and the world is forced to change around it, more or less. But for me personally, a lot a lot has changed. Um, I became a dad, for example. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, I joined Swan, obviously, which is great news. Uh, happy to, to join the team. And um, 
also do my best as an engineer to um, bring adoption forward and just give back to the space in general. And yeah, I, I also tried my best to write a bit here and there. Um, had an epiphany in Riga. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's basically the cliff notes of, of the last 10 years in Bitcoin. <laughs> So Gigi, when you came on to POV Crypto uh, 14 months ago in June of 2019, it was a pretty, pretty spicy debate, definitely an episode to, uh, to go back and to listen to. Uh, but I believe your, your book, 21 Lessons, came out shortly thereafter, I think, right after that episode. How, tell us about that. How has that gone? Like, it seems to be like one of the most well-recepted books in the Bitcoin space. Wow. Um, thanks for the compliment, first of all. And yeah, the episode was spicy indeed. I, I remember it was almost like um, an extra episode of, of POV Fight Night. <laughs> yes, I, I, I remember. I wasn't needed though. CK, CK <laughs> tuning out and, and uh, we had the boxing gloves on. So it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, regarding 21 Lessons, so it kind of took on a life um, of its own and I don't even remember the, the exact dates, but I think I, I was just in the midst of, of writing the last part and um, a lot of people reached out to me and told me that, you know, I should put it in a book and so on. And I was pl- toying with the idea. And um, in the end, I think after July, in the next couple of months, I just built a web page for it and set it up as a book, which still exists. It's like 21 lessons come and you can just um, click through it there and basically turn the page, pages digital, digitally there. And I think in December is when I actually um, released the real physical book. So I, I have a, a background of um, writing academic papers in LaTeX and uh, that came in very handy. So I could just um, apply that to what I wrote and uh, have a nice print edition come out in the end. I mean, of course, it took a lot of work and I learned a lot uh, while doing that. But uh, I think in I think it was actually Christmas Day. It was, I think, the 24th or 25th of December last uh, year when it came out. And um, yeah, it got resubmitted very well and i'm actually in the process of writing a second book i think i have another book in me Ooh, that's amazing can we, yeah can we hear more about that is that <laughs> a continuation um it's it's gonna be a little bit different i mean 20 21 lessons was a very weird book in the first place um i always considered it as just a very long tweet that just got way too long and <laughs> eventually turned itself into a book and um the follow-up book i'm not even sure if if I want to call it a follow-up, but um, the second book is going to be called 21 Ways and the long title will be 21 Ways to Look at Bitcoin. And I want to, um, as deeply as I can, explore Bitcoin by viewing it from different angles. And 21 Lessons was um, very silent about what Bitcoin is, so it didn't really explain the, the reader what Bitcoin is or what it could be, but it's just what I've learned from falling down the rabbit hole. And I want to rectify that with 21 ways. I want to tell you in 21 different ways what Bitcoin is pretty much. That's right. awesome. And, and not, <laughs> not, not to, uh, to shower you with too much praise, but uh, I met Gigi in Riga last year before you had your uh, Bitcoin epiphany. And uh, this, this man is so freaking impressive. Like he is a software developer. He has done a bunch of academic research. Uh, he can do backflips like this guy is backflips while drunk. Like, uh, can't tell you like, man, B- Gigi is a stud and 
on top of that, I'm pretty sure you drank me under the table, unfortunately. So uh, <laughs> just just absolute beast mode. But I want to take this opportunity to transition to like that epiphany. And I think that that has something to do with 21 ways. But uh, after Riga, you called me and told me about this idea about Bitcoin being circular. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And just for the record, I think uh, in Riga, it was the last backflip I did. Um, so I'm not even sure if I can do backflips anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm, get, I'm getting old as well. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see, let's see about it. I'll, I'll try another one once I, I have uh, sand under my feet or something. But, yeah. uh, you're, you're a dad <laughs> now, so backflips are more. Yeah, risky. exactly. Exactly. I have, to, I have to be more responsible now. Um, but yeah, um, so Riga was special for me because... A lot of things kind of clicked and I don't know exactly why. I still have a very hard time articulating all of that. And I actually want to do that, um, but I gave myself until like um, Q3 of next year to articulate that properly, um, what I experienced there and uh, the kind of insights I had as well, or at least I think I had, you know, it's, it's very hard to, <laughs> it's a fine line between um, genuine madness and genuine insights so uh, i'm not sure what happened to me but something happened to me there and yeah i wanted to like i i feel like i i stumbled upon something and i just wanted to do a sanity check that's why i also reached out to you and some other bitcoiners um in the sense i just wanted to see if i went completely off the rails or if the ideas that i had in my head um yeah made sense somehow to other people as well and that was the idea that uh, Bitcoin is circular at its, at its core. I have no other way to describe it. And that's also the, the image that popped into my head repeatedly. And I actually, I, uh, a little bit later, I wrote a thread about that and I tried to articulate it as best as I could um, back then. But since like a year has passed and um, I, I think I gained more clarity of what I actually wanted to say and what I tried to say. And I actually, I also... I gave a short talk on that uh, during the Value of Bitcoin conference, which talked about the Bitcoin journey and the Bitcoin journey and um, how Bitcoin has evolved over time and how our understanding of Bitcoin has evolved alongside it. And I think all of that is kind of related. And the idea that Bitcoin is circular is, is basically the main insight that I had was born out of the fact that obviously Bitcoin is a cult, you know, <laughs> and... <laughs> Like that's, I think it's still true. And um, the insight that I had in, in Riga, it was, you know, induced in Riga is when I met Hess and Hess is very re religious about Bitcoin. And so for me, the obvious conclusion was that the next step after a cult will be a religion. And that is when we had, when we went full circle, because basically religions are embodiments of ideas as far as i'm concerned or memes if you want to call it that and uh bitcoin started as an idea so that's that's in my head where the circle closed and uh, a lot of insights kept happening so as as far as i can tell or as far, as far as i see it bitcoin started as an idea satoshi had this idea a lot of people had had this idea previously and satoshi actually did the work and implemented it and so we he created something that became technology and this technology can be applied to finance and this financial revolution leads to a social revolution and this social revolution leads to a smallish cult <laughs> bitcoin maximalists and meat-eating um, toxic maximalists and so on so that's where we are we're at now and i think we're we already see the inklings um to the next step the intermediate step which goes back to the idea stage again is to become almost religious about it and 
that that was the main insight. And of course, there are many, many other circularities in Bitcoin, but that's, that was the main one. Okay, so the, the concept of Bitcoin as circular is mainly talking about the, um, the Bitcoin community, the Bitcoiners, and kind of the genesis of what it means to be a Bitcoiner to where we are now with where it means to be a Bitcoiner now. Is that, is that what you are, are talking about when you say Bitcoin is circular? Yeah, in part, in part. Like that was, that was what um, produced this, this insight uh, or this quote-unquote religious experience. I'm, again, I'm, I'm having a really hard time talking about it because I'm just lacking vocab uh, the vocabulary and I, I still can't really make too much sense of it. But the end result was that I was just awake for pretty much four nights straight. <laughs> Couldn't sleep because I was so excited uh, about what I found out. And uh, I... Of course, you know, um, if you fly too close to the sun, you crash and burn afterwards. And that's what I did as well. And it took me a very long time to recover from that as well. And the circularities are not only just about that. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin is circular, as Seyfedin points out in many of his lectures, and I think also in the book, um, like just the, the interaction of um, price and security is circular as well. Like you have basically number goes up then mining becomes more profitable the number of miners goes up so security goes up and trusted trust and usage goes up and that makes number go up again so that's one circularity in terms of price and and security and in terms of adoption it's circle as well you know like if number goes up we get the, the next media hype and the next wave of people comes in and some stick around because either they get it or they get extremely lucky some may become bitcoiners some may even become cultish bitcoiners and uh, all of this leads to more development and more education and more hodling which in turn makes number go up as well and uh, so the cycle continues and we see this of course as well also in in different yeah analysis um, the hodl waves for example then plan b's phases and and so on and so forth so there are many indications that bitcoin is circular in nature yeah, so I'm, I'm reminded about a tweet that I remember Christian retweeting a very long time ago, like like 18, 18 uh, months ago. And it was of a GIF of these gears. It was like a hairball of gears, except all the gears were like very interlocked and very tight. And they were all rotating together. And like the, the caption or comment was, uh, you know, the interlocking incentive mechanisms that make like Bitcoin work, right? And you mm -hmm. just rattled off a list of like three different things of the way that Bitcoin is circular. circular. And so to, to complete that metaphor, what I'm, what I'm seeing in my head is that like each incentive of Bitcoin or each component that makes Bitcoin tick, like the blockchain, the proof of work, the number go up, uh, the people, um, the hard cap, um, all of these things add to our, our have some sort of uh, self, have some sort of self-referentiality to it, right? And I think what we're I think what we're getting at is like to, to the end of, end idea that like Bitcoin is like a meme or like any any crypto th platform I think that is ultimately successful is ultimately a meme like it's a thing that like births itself itself into an existence into existence by its own right of like the code right if you if you build a good before Bitcoin was around like say say it's two thousand seven. Um, something of Bitcoin's nature was like destined to come into reality so long as it was like constructed in this like self-referential way, right? Like it, it just creates its own existence. And in, in, this, in kind of like the same way that life creates its own existence. Am I on the same trail as you are or am I somewhere else? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, 
all of these ideas, they, they kind of were in my head um, back then as well. And um, I don't know what really clicked inside my head that made me realize so many things what felt like at once. But I, I went back over my old work and I obviously uh, talked about how Bitcoin is alive as well. And you uh, just mentioned that as well, like how, how is it, is it, it births itself into existence. And with this self-referential uh, nature, it is kind of like a living organism. And I still think, I still believe that the view of Bitcoin as a living organism is the most helpful one to really understand it. Um, I think it, it it just it has a very organic nature to just deal with problems and things and to evolve and so on and and um also the piece i wrote that uh, we actually i think talked about the, the last time i was on it was bitcoin's gravity and it also has this idea of the loop uh, the i called it back then the idea value feedback loop and uh um, how Bitcoin stems from an idea and, and people rally around this idea and the, those people run code and uh, the code runs on nodes and the nodes span a network and the network comes to consensus and this is what gives the whole thing value is this consensus and the value in turn it influences also the ideas like what this thing is where, where we want to take it and so on and so forth and and this is again where it closes the loops and um the ideas in turn influence people and the people influence the code and so on and so forth and it, uh we we see how how bitcoin and of course also other other networks evolved over time and uh of course we also know that bitcoin is like not, notoriously difficult to change but still people try and i think this is also related to um i still haven't figured it out perfectly yet but i think all of this is also related to bitcoin arrangements in rome we see people that really try hard to influence or change bitcoin and i think just um the unchanging nature of it um it drives people insane as well <laughs> and of course it's also related to value and greed and all these other things but i think just um the true nature of bitcoin and the fact that it's soul if you will is unchangeable i think it has um the ability to try to, to drive people mad insanely mad and i think it's also related to the religious idea because other people might find it um inspiring that it's unchanging in the source of truth you know people talk about bitcoin being the truth machine and um it it definitely is something that you can rally around uh, like in, in a world that is so steeped in chaos and you don't know what kind of new sources to trust for example or what kind of narratives to trust like the bitcoin ledger is the most truthful thing in existence <laughs> and you can definitely rally around it i want to touch on two things there first is like the this aspect of bitcoin's unchangingness as being you know essentially its biggest value prop like what do bitcoin skeptics kind of like underestimate about that hmm that's a good question i don't know i think i think a lot of people really don't grasp that yet um and it's also very hard to articulate what exactly is unchanging in bitcoin because again it's it's more like the soul of Bitcoin isn't changing. Everything else is changing. Like you, you can, all the nodes replace themselves over time. Like even the, the network infrastructure will replace itself over time. Like the, all, all the cables, everything that Bitcoin is running on will replace itself over time. In the next hundred years, wait a hundred years and all the Bitcoiners will be replaced. <laughs> like we will have a new set of people working on Bitcoin and saving on Bitcoin and so on and so well, forth. And as is life, right? Exactly, exactly. So so it's really hard to 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 pin down what exactly is the unchanging nature. That's why I also use esoteric terms like the soul of Bitcoin, even though it sounds crazy, but um, like the, 
21 million hard cap is non-negotiable. That, that won't change. And I think, I think we are at a point now where we can say, except, except for, like, I, I don't think there will be any hard forks. Except it means not doing a hard fork means the death of the network. But I think we are at the point of ossification where just hard forks are out of the picture. And I think soft forks will be increasingly improbable as well because uh, just keep in mind that reversing a soft fork means a hard fork. So any, any soft fork is always, always risky as well in a way. Like if something goes wrong with a soft fork, then, then you would, would need to, to do a hard fork to reverse it. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about it in these terms, but I really think that Bitcoin has an unchanging soul and everything else around it can change. Like every single line of code in Bitcoin changed. If you look at the code of the first version, I mean, it's laughable. It's like a thousand lines of code and it's, it's horrible. <laughs> now we have like, I don't know the number, but probably like 50,000 lines or more and everything that, that, that goes around it, like everything has changed in Bitcoin, but still the soul of Bitcoin is completely unchanging. So the mental model that I've been using to understand these things is like, like Bitcoin and Ethereum are like these new age um, organizational structures, right? Where, and we've had these organizational structures before where, you know, uh, religion was a very significant organizational structure. And then after religion came like the nation state, right? And each, each one of these things have it has its own quote unquote soul, right? Like the Christianity or Catholicism or Judaism or like those things have changed over time. But like the, 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 very essence of them hasn't right like at the end of the day like the the story of jesus christ doesn't change just the way that it's told has changed and like the the books that we have this code in changes but like the essence doesn't really change like we're always going to call jesus christ jesus christ like that doesn't really change that much over time and even if it does it's as a result of like the different lenses that we try and say the same name through and the nation state story is the same thing we're like the United States has like a constitution and it has amendments and it can update itself and it can change. But like the soul of the United States doesn't really change. Like this is still like a thing. Like the United States, it's its own self-interested like body, its own self-interested system in the same way Bitcoin is a singular life that it has. And it tries to like perpetuate and iterate and adapt to the world around it. But it itself kind of just is the same thing over and over and over again, again, as is life. And so that's what fascinates me about this space is like, if you are a functioning crypto system, you are this entity that is interested in your own, um, your own success, you're in, in staying alive, because that's how life works. Life fundamentally is something that is interested in staying alive. Without that, you would just die. And then it, it, you're interested in self-perpetuating. And that's how these things work. And so we started at religion and then we started, and then we went to the nation state. And now we have this like new cerebral, um, like, uh, like not cerebral, um, like uh, intangible internet bound digital, like organizational structure that is interested in its own manifestation in its own life. And assurances. And what? And assurances, assurances, yeah, like the super, super, uh, super national um, Mm. rights system, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, agreed. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I'm I'm still not really sure what to make of it because I don't really know how everything relates to each other. Like I don't, um, I'm. 
I just I'm just blown away by the similarities of Bitcoin and religion, for example, and how I can definitely see a religion forming around Bitcoin. Like I I was joking about that like a year ago. I'm not so much joking about it anymore because I can definitely see it. I wouldn't be I just wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think I tweeted out one day like like don't be surprised if a religion continues to form around this this thing and i think like i i won't be surprised at all if in like five years time or ten years time we'll see a bitcoin religion for real <laughs> like with tax tax exemption and everything <laughs> there's a there's a listener of this podcast kenny Rowe, who uh who is very much uh, aligned with this vision where he he thinks that there is a, a a i mean he takes it he's facetious about it but also if you if you poke him he'll he'll tell you like no this could be like a real thing where like if you take the the religious nature of like Bitcoiners, the most religious of them, and just take that off to its like logical conclusion, you have like a fully formed like organized religion around Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. I, I I'm not ready to count that out as like a future version of the world. Yeah, and I I just also think what what pretty much everyone underestimates, including most Bitcoiners, I believe, definitely most outsiders, is just the level of con- conviction uh, of some Bitcoiners, and um, it, I I just I also believe that. Um, the separation of money and state is is a very noble cause and something worth fighting for and under some circumstances worth dying for and i know i'm not alone and so this is this is definitely also religious language you know like dying for a cause that is very abstract and also dying for something that you might not even see realized because I mean, I'm insanely bullish and optimistic, as you know. I think hyperbitcoinization is upon us, and I think you know, like in nine years, it will be pretty much over. It will be ob- obvious to everyone, <laughs> but but still, I can't say that with certainty. You know, like um, also, I I might die next year. You know, you you never know. You never know if if what you're fighting for. You you never know if you're will be around to see it. So so all of these ideas are are, are kind of religious in tone, at least. And I also I, I'm not sure how it relates to to nation states because. Obviously, what you said is is true as well, that these are organizational structures and ideas and um, nation states also have have like incentives to keep themselves alive and um, um, spread themselves with propaganda and whatnot. And um, the funny thing about Bitcoin is, as far as I understand it, it's a direct attack on nation states and it kind of builds its own self-sovereign state in cyberspace for everyone to opt into and inhabit as they see fit. Mm. And so all of those are kind of interrelated and Bitcoin kind of touches all of those grandiose ideas. And I, uh, one more thing about the, the unchanging nature of Bitcoin, because I think that's, that's also a very underappreciated, um, a very underappreciated fact about the whole Bitcoin system is that the only thing like the, the soul of Bitcoin, it's, it's not, very easily to articulate because it's it's basically it's basically the rule set embodied in code um, that we don't want to fork away from. But the one unchanging thing the Bitcoin network produces is the UTXO set, is the ledger that contains all the entries, who owns what, and and when it happened, and so on and so forth. And this is really, I think, that's uh, that's as unkillable as the idea. You know, like the idea of Bitcoin, it's it's out of the bag, and it it existed before the before Bitcoin was invented. So the idea of Bitcoin was around 
since quite a while and ideas are insanely hard to kill but the utxos had i'm sure there are so many copies all over the world even like thermonuclear nuclear war or asteroid impact i think you know we have arctic cold vaults and we have very paranoid people that have bunkers and faraday bags and do daily backups with the faraday bags and whatnot i think the utxos it would survive in some way shape and form and so we can always reboot from that as well and i think that's very underappreciated uh, when people think about killing Bitcoin. It's so insanely hard to kill, it, it, it boggles the mind. Like it, you can always reboot the system from the UTXO set. One thing you said a second ago was about like um, the, the very no noble cause of se the separation of, of money and state, right? And uh, again, couldn't agree more. And Austrian economics, this is like the, the idea of Austrian economics, right? And to me, what Bitcoin is, is like a rise of from the ashes of Austrian economics from when it died when we went off the gold standard right and like the the power of the nation state as an organizational structure that is ultimately in any organizational structure in this like realm in this like dimension where like the other other organizational structures in this dimension are religion and and bitcoin and, and ethereum uh they like there's they don't have to compete, but ultimately there's only so much space. And so ultimately the thing, these things will compete, right? Um, they inherently you know, want to dominate each other. Like right, it's pretty they, obvious to see yeah. that. Religions do that, monies do that, nation states mm -hmm. do that. All of these things want to dominate. Yeah, they want to be like the maximalist of their respective like d domain of existence, right? And so the, the noble fight for the separation of money and state is the, is the fight to remove the weapon of the nation state but it's also a scientific progress uh, conversation, right? Because like, uh, and I, I guess I can't really say this, but I will anyways, but like the, separate, the, the, money, the separation of money outside of the, the control of a money printer is good for, the, for, for humanity. Like the absence of a money, money printer is scientifically better than the existence of a money printer. And we've seen humans and humanity tend to migrate and move towards what is what is true what is good and what is uh, known to be good and what is truthfully good and so i see bitcoin as like a vehicle for bringing out what is truthfully good about money which is that money should be like very very scarce and unprintable mm -hmm. absolutely um i agree with everything you said and i think um, the work of Robert Breedlove currently, he's the clearest thinker on, the, on these topics around the ideas of um, truth and also fairness and um, how any interference with either monetary policy or just money in general will lead to a system that is simply, just in general terms, unfair and um, rewards some people disproportionately to others and we, we see that um, of course during the times um, as you mentioned as well that it's it's like basically history proves that what you said is correct uh, we have the time um, where most of the world was on the gold standard which was just if you look at the amount of innovations and art that was produced it was it was the best time to be alive and I think it just goes back to uh, general misallocation of capital like if if you don't have good money it's very hard to allocate this money correctly and i think we just see these um yeah 
I think we see all these symptoms um, since the 70s, just a series of, of bubbles. Uh, the, the money is just not allocated correctly. And also uh, with all the bailouts that are happening, it, it's, it also it doesn't produce a natural system that allows the bad actors to die off. And uh, all, of the, all of this is, is of course, um, bad for an economy in general and just uh, bad for, cancer. for humanity. Yeah, exactly. And But I, I think when we talk about the separation of money and state, I think there is a lot of infighting as well um, in the Bitcoin space. And that's, I, I believe, because the separation of money and state is basically two things. First of all, we don't want the state to interfere with the monetary policy. Like, we want to have a fixed monetary policy. That's, that's one thing, that's where the hard cap comes in, that's where, where the number go up crew comes in, that's where the whole gang comes in, that's just, that's this whole aspect of Bitcoin. The second aspect would be, we also want to remove the surveillance state from our money. And that's where all the privacy folds come in, the coin join folds come in and so on and so forth. And I, I, both are separation of money and state, but those are two different aspects of it. And I'm, I'm rooting for both of them. And both of them are extremely important. But arguably, just fixing the monetary policy might have even bigger effects than just removing the surveillance state uh, from the money. And I, I, think, I think there is just, in general, a lot of... Uh, it's very hard, in general, in Bitcoin to, to just tease apart all those issues because everything is working together and it's like the, the system of gears that you described, you know, like the Gordian knot of interlocking incentives. And it's very, very hard to to pull anything apart from it. And I think that's the last three or four years, uh, like starting in 2016 and uh, especially with the 2017 boom, um, a lot of people really misunderstood what Bitcoin is because they tried to to pull out one or two parts of it and thought that's the next cool thing. And, and of course, I'm talking about the blocks, block uh, blockchain yeah. space blockchain everything. <laughs> yeah everything that's on the blockchain <laughs> exactly and and i just i i hope that um just with the educational work that i do that i i really can hammer home a couple of points and, and one of my pet peeves is that um any such system bitcoin in particular but just if you if you if you build a blockchain like if you if you have a blockchain the only thing it, it still boggles my mind that people don't don't get what the blockchain really is. And I, I, I'm a huge fan of the people that say we should revert to the original term and just use time chain because that makes it obvious for, for what it's for. It's for keeping the time in a decentralized system. And other than that, you, you just, you know, the blockchain is a chain of blocks, blah, blah, blah. But in essence, it is for keeping time in a decentralized system because you can't trust any centralized clock. And the other thing is just in general, the Oracle problem. Bitcoin solves the Oracle problem via proof of work. And it's, it's the invention. It's like you need something, like you will always have the problem that you can copy digital information perfectly. So you will never have scarcity in the digital realm. The only thing to have something scarce is to anchor it with the physical world. And you can't do that because you can't solve the Oracle problem. The only way to do it is doing, probab it's doing it probabilistically via proof of work. And that's the genius invention of Bitcoin. And if you remove any of that, you have nothing. You're, you're back to where, we where you were before. Like nothing else works. You know, we know of no other mechanism that works. And, and just people try to reintroduce and prove, uh, like try to solve the Oracle problem in, in, in a fancy decentralized quote unquote way by having like 10 different Oracles and so on and so forth. But you always reintroduce the human element of it that physics takes out of it. And proof of work with its physics takes out 
the element that you can cheat out of the Oracle problem. And it kind of solves the Oracle problem in a roundabout way. And, and I, just, I just hope that more people will understand this, what's actually going on there, because that is inherently tied to the value proposition of Bitcoin. It's a system that you can't cheat, period. Like you can't cheat the laws of physics. You can't cheat probabilities. As far as we know, to do any computation, you need to flip bits. And as far as we know, to flip bits, you need to expand energy. And as long as those two things hold, and as long as P is not equal NP, then we're fine in the Bitcoin space. And if, if people, I, I, I'm just, <laughs> I, I will never stop talking about that until <laughs> at least a certain percentage of the world population understands this. <laughs> so I think you bring up a good point why proof of stake and other things like that, they just can't, com- they are completely different and cannot compete with proof of work in Bitcoin. Um, I think there was an example recently with an Ethereum 2 testnet that went down because the Cloudflare server, or whatever, there was massive slashing because the Cloudflare server that was dishing out time uh, had an issue and that uh, took out a lot of nodes. Um, So obviously proof of stake does not replace the proof of work and Bitcoin blockchain component where it actually keeps time in a decentralized the, way. The, the time is not a part of proof of stake. The, they actually decide because of what happened, they are taking the time aspect. They thought it was cool to integrate time if just for whatever purposes into, into the network. And then they, that caused a bunch of problems. So they took it out. So the, the time components no longer part of the ETH2 spec. All right. Well, I mean, we don't have to dig into those components because I'm not super familiar to, you know, argue about that, but um, you know, it does, again, it just does go to show that these things are kind of holding in different spaces, although people like to uh, compare them a lot. The, the thing is, I believe, like, when we're talking about separating money and state, we're talking about worst case scenarios. We're talking about potentially coordinated nation state attacks, like Russia and China and the US colluding to kill Bitcoin. And you want to anchor it in something that can't be cheated like you want to build the most bulletproof system that we can build and bitcoin does it in a way that it anchors it in the most bulletproof things that we know of of this universe it anchors it in thermodynamics it anchors it in the laws of physics itself it anchors it in mathematics and and thermodynamics and again you know the, the powerful thing about it is no like no army in this world will, will ever solve a math problem just by pure force. You can't brute force your way through these cryptographic walls. And that's the genius of it. Like they, all the nation states, all the armies in the world are powerless against this. Different planes this of is, existence. This is simply not true for other systems because even if you do it in a very fancy way and you solve the Oracle problem by having, you know, like 5,000 people all over the globe um, that, I don't know, tell you the strawberry count or something, you can coerce those people. You can kill those people. You can influence those people. You can influence those oracles. You can't influence physics. You can't, you can't cheat proof of work. And, and I think once you really realize that uh, the other systems inherently come kind of uh, uninteresting. Agreed. Shall I wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, Gigi, if you have any final words, uh, we have a not Bitcoin maximalist audience on this podcast. You know, (laughs) obviously you have some strong opinions on that front and think that there's a lot of misconceptions. Uh, What would you say to uh, kind of our audience here? Well, um, yeah, 
Wow. Uh, I'm not even sure if I can answer that quickly. I think, <laughs> so maybe allow me like 10 minutes, but I think um, if you're still in the game of trying to time the market, just stop. It's not a game that you can win. And it's also not a game, you know, that leads to any meaningful prices. Uh, you know, it's to say, play stupid games, play, <laughs> win stupid prices. So I think like the best decision in my life probably was to get into Bitcoin <laughs> because <laughs> they changed a lot of things. The second best decision was like my best decision as a Bitcoiner, let's put it like that. My best decision as a Bitcoiner was to just forget about price, forget about timing, forget about training, forget about any, anything else and just start auto DCAing. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's mental advice, it's health advice, it's wealth advice, it's just life advice in general. Just try to accumulate a little bit more of whatever shitcoin it is that you're using, whether it's the US dollar, whether it's the euro, whether it's whatever your currency, and just put a little bit every week, every month into Bitcoin, mm-hmm. start, start DCAing, automate it because... The very important part is that you automate it and you don't have to think about it. You set it up and you forget about it. And then you just go about your life. Don't, don't care about it too much. And just ride out the waves. Like if, if, if I'm approximately right, <laughs> in nine years, you'll be, you'll be set for life. And even if it takes 20, what gives, you know? And it's, it's very easy to just give up smoking, give up drinking, and you'll have like 20 bucks uh, every second day or so mm-hmm. and just put it into Bitcoin. Just stack sets and stack sets for salvation and, and then all is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would like to echo that. So we were talking about how like first there was religion, then there was nation states and now, and now there's Bitcoin and Ethereum. And these are completely brand new paradigms of existence. And so there will be value there. Like you, you buy Bitcoin at the top of 2017, it's going to be the bottom for like the, a longer period of time. It almost doesn't matter. And I, I was on a, a, I know a guy who has made an insane amount of money recently and I was hanging out with him yesterday on zoom where I was teaching him how to read a candle and the, the, he just didn't look at the charts the entire time. And there's something to be learned there where like the charts are, the more you look at charts is the, it's not going to make you any more money and perhaps it'll make you even less money. And so Absolutely. if you want to have exposure to like this new paradigm of existence that we're in, it's, it's like, the charts aren't helping you. Like also, the, the, the answer is to, to get your value in. Also just know that reading charts and just trading currencies is, it's a zero sum game. Like nobody produces anything by trading currencies and nobody, like you don't produce value by just trading. It, it, you just don't. So just do something else, produce value, create a product, create a service, do something great and whatever you make, put a little bit on the side and put a little bit in Bitcoin. And that's it. That's how you build wealth. That's how you build, that's how you stay sane <laughs> mm-hmm. and all those good things. So that's, that's, that's life advice right there. Agreed. Awesome. Gigi, plug what people can find you and how they can best stack sats. Oh yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm there Gigi on Twitter. You can find me online on, on their gg.com and you can best stack sats if you're in the U S at uh, Swan Bitcoin. And if, uh, if you want to get some extra sets into your account, swanbitcoin.com slash gg. And if you're outside of the US, um, check out my good friend, Friar Hess on Twitter. He has a pinned tweet with all the DCA, auto DCA stacking services around the world. Fantastic, Gigi. Thanks for coming back on POV Crypto. This is a, a very peaceful round two to a very spicy round one. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've changed. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to spice it up, but it just went back to uh, 
it, it went back to uh, to the way it was. Uh, you too, guys can find the show. There. You can find the show at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks as well as at Bitcoin Magazine. David, you can find me at Trustless Date both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Peace.